Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources with Lloyd Matheson. While the U.S. and social media companies have banned Russian state media and propaganda in light of the war in Ukraine, China is quietly spreading its own disinformation through search engines, which is uh, an interesting challenge that I don't think very many of us are actually thinking about. Uh, And so uh, we're still working to get our next guest on the line, and uh, we're going to speak to... uh, Ellen Gekyan, who is the junior fellow at the Alliance for Securing Democracy and has a a great piece about winning the web, how Beijing uh, exploits search results to shape views of China, uh, especially as it relates to things around COVID-19. And so really interesting as as we think through this, as the war in Ukraine unfolds, Russian propaganda about the conflict has gotten a boost from a very interesting source government officials, and state media out of Beijing. Uh, And so here in multiple uh, languages and in regions around the world, uh, China uh, is routinely amplifying Russia's conspiracy theories, rationalizing why President Vladimir Putin invaded Ukraine and undermining the credibility and the appeal of the United States, of NATO, of independent media. Uh, And all of this, of course, we saw play out over and over uh, over the course of the last week, uh, even in Davos, uh, Switzerland, at the Economic Forum. Uh, China declined uh, not only to uh, applaud when Ukrainian President Zelensky spoke to the group, which led to a standing ovation by everyone else in the room, uh, with the exception of China. Uh, So that's an interesting thing. Uh, And so even as China declines to endorse uh, the Kremlin's uh, activities and invasion of Ukraine, uh, this spring, for example, China's messengers uh, promoted the baseless Russian claim that it was the the United States was supporting a biological weapons program in Ukraine. And in uh, there were moments within that whole battle uh, and that whole uh, thing that uh, you actually had more coming out of China than you did from Russia itself. Uh, we have Ellen now. Awesome. Wonderful. Uh, Ellen Agekian is a junior fellow at the Alliance for Securing Democracy. Ellen, thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Wonderful. And uh, we always uh, 
My tombstone is going to read, you're only as good as your Wi-Fi, and the technology <laughs> is always my nemesis, but we are so glad you're on. Uh, so give us some of your insight. You've been tracking this really closely, and I think most people uh, were just thinking, especially as it relates to Ukraine, that it was just kind of Russian propaganda that we had to be worried about. Uh, but you've dug into this, and China's playing a significant uh, piece of the game. Yes, absolutely. Especially now that um, the major search engine companies, as well as social media companies, have taken steps to really de-amplify, de-rank, and demonetize Russian state content. Um, in terms of the the world of authoritarian governments, uh, Beijing's media machine is the one that we need to watch. Wow. Uh, and so give us some examples of uh, some of the things that you're seeing as uh, China ramps that up. You mentioned uh, they are getting some tighter controls on what Russia is doing. Uh, so how's, yes. how is China going around that? Yeah. So, you know, the, the research that we did specifically looks into the question of, of search engines. You know, I think for the, for the past few years, for close to a decade, especially as the United States has grappled with the idea of propaganda and disinformation coming from foreign sources, social media, as you can tell, has been, has been where most of our focus has been. And, and with good reason, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube have been major sources. We looked instead at the, the sort of more active information consumption side of this, which is what if you heard about something and went to, to Google it or to use Bing search for it or to, to use Google news for it? And what would you find if you looked at topics that are strategically important to Beijing? In our case, specifically, we looked at uh, Xinjiang and COVID-19, because these are topics that are incredibly geopolitically salient to Beijing and around which Chinese state media produce a lot of content. So we chose a group of search terms um, going from the neutral to the more loaded. And we said, OK, so for 121 days or 120 days, Let's monitor what comes up if you look for information using one of our major search engines. Um, and we found actually some, some startling things. Um, we were not surprised to find that more loaded and conspiratorial terms would uh, surface a lot of state media content. But perhaps our most shocking finding was that if you just Google the term Xinjiang, which of course we're to the Northwest region of China, that's home to the Uyghur population and to uh, egregious human rights abuses. Um, a lot of state media comes up in both new searches on Google and Bing, as well as on YouTube. So we were quite surprised to see that the most neutral, the most innocuous of search terms would lead you to conspiratorial and propaganda content. Wow, that's, uh, that is stunning. Uh, and so as you as you dig into that, this is one of the things I love about uh, what you all do, and that is that you're never content to just point out the problem. You also come up with a, a host of options and things we ought to be <laughs> thinking about or implementing. Uh, so what should be done uh, to address some of the findings and uh, what should companies be thinking about and acting mm -hmm. on? Yeah, excellent question. And I'll start off by saying that there's a real distribution of responsibility. You know, the tech companies are incredibly actively thinking about this all the time. And I think doing a lot of great work to basically balance how they, you know, prevent people from using search engines to, to, to consume information in ways that can harm them, but also to give them a diverse range of content. So this is a real balancing act for the search, for the companies that run search engines, we recommend a few things and I'll highlight, um, the uh, I think the top lines, which are um, labeling and context, we think really work. So 
Google, for example, has recently started testing and about this result feature in search to anyone who wants to um, go and Google their own any any of these terms that we've mentioned, pay attention to the three dots that are on the right side of all of the results. That'll give you a little bit of information about the domain that's providing you so information. So we think that this should not just be formalized, but also expanded. So clear labels for when you're getting information from state domains, for example. There's also um, something that I think is hugely important is clarity, transparency, and education about ranking decisions. One of the reasons why we think this research is really important is that, you know, most people, when they go to do their own research on any of these search engines, they think that the search engine is a neutral conduit of information. And they think that, you know, what, what they see on the first page, and most of us will only look at the first page, is, is objectively delivered. And that's simply not the case. So we think that search engines have a responsibility to be clearer and to educate more about what goes into what goes into rank, what goes into giving you that first search result that you're likely to click on. And then on the user side, of course, I think we also have a responsibility to be um, to be better about our consumption choices because every click that we make on that page of search results, then also, you know, it's a it's a dynamic relationship that we have. Our behavior also shapes in the end what results we get. Yeah, oh, that's uh, this is so so good. We're gonna post all of this and. Uh, have a have a deeper dive on this one because this is so critical. And then uh, just real quickly, I do want you know, to weigh in on something else that you've raised, and and that is the responsibility of content creators, especially mm-hmm. those that cover issues that might be important to a place, either whether that's Russia or Beijing or somewhere else. Yeah, absolutely. That's the, that's the third leg of, we think, the distributed responsibility. So content creators, that includes, that includes independent journalists, that includes academia and think tanks, as well as government officials. Um, anyone who's producing content about these topics really should be thinking about how people are searching for their content. You know, at the end of the day, a lot of this is decided by SEO, which is something that anyone who has a website you know, can use to make sure their content is discovered. So thinking about how audiences are conceptualizing and searching for the information you provide can really help get great reporting um, ahead of propaganda. Oh, fantastic. Uh, Ellen, we appreciate you joining us today. This is really crucial information, and uh, we're going to have you back on the program to do a, a deeper dive because I think this is so vital. It impacts us. And as you said, there's there's this symbiotic relation of what we click on and what we validate uh, and so we are part of both the problem and the solution, uh, as well as those platforms uh, and, and all the pieces in between. So, uh, Ellen, thanks so much for joining us uh, on Inside Sources today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. Again, that's Ellen Nagekian, a junior fellow at the Alliance for Securing Democracy. That is some great, great stuff. That's got me and my mind spinning in terms of some things we got to look at. Uh, both from a federal level, government level, and personal level, content creator level, platform level. Lots to discuss to make sure we're getting to the truth because that's actually what matters. Coming up, Jake Hunsaker running for Congress going to join us. Don't miss it. Stay with us. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said... You need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. 
You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.